Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Sacramento. I have so much spiritual history that you don't even want to hear about it here. And um, uh, and um, I am overwhelmed that I am speaking. Hello, Jay. God bless you, sweetie. That I am speaking at the cathedral meeting because I have come here and celebrated my birthday. I have come here to enjoy the speakers. There are certain people here that I know I'm going to see them when I come. And um, you guys, this is such a blessed, blessed program. And if I can say this without crying, it is my greatest honor, my greatest, greatest privilege. I have my four daughters and my son-in-law. If you'll stand up, kids, because you... major they have been angels in my life when it says in the big book of alcoholics anonymous that our families can be healed here it doesn't mean they get perfect it just means you learn how to love each other and accept each other just exactly the way you are and my god you guys what a fantastic gift um I'm not going to talk a whole bunch about my drinking. I feel like, well, gee, I should give them a vignette so they know, you know, that you really are an alcoholic. I have somebody. Seriously, I have, I'm sure they can. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, um, with my kids, you know, um, I came into this program when I was uh, 26 years old. And if you add 31, you'll know exactly how old I am to that. Um but, uh, you know, my youngest daughter back there, uh, she was my sober baby. And uh, my son, who is not with us tonight, he was five years old when I came into the program. My kids were pretty young. And um, I just want to just tell you very, very briefly what I was like. Not so much what I did because we all did the same thing. I was a party girl. I was like alcohol affected me like speed. I started drinking when I was 16 years old, and I just kept doing it until I landed in Alcoholics Anonymous. So incredibly tired, I can't even tell you. Um, and in fact, after sobriety, after sobriety for for quite a few years, people used to ask, "Laura, are you on some kind of speed or something?" And the truth of the matter is, I am on speed. I'm on spiritual speed, and that's the absolute truth. My heart is full of joy, especially tonight, you guys. This is such an overwhelming experience for me because. As I have seen people here that I know from way back, Dave and Ron and God bless you, people, you know, people from all over my spiritual history, my book, the book that's been written here by the grace of God, by my being willing to, to go the distance and not take the first drink. And you guys, that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. Um, you know, I started drinking when I was 16 years old, and I have to tell you something, the gates of heaven opened up for me. Um, 
I had, I did, the, the person that I turned into, I had not always been that kind of person. I want to tell you that right now. When I was a little kid, I just want to share one little vignette with you, what it was like for me when I was a little kid. When I was about four years old, I used to dance under a marvelous cotton tree in Victor, Montana, of all places, and I had this yellow satin dress, and it was tattered and torn, but to my mind, it was, a, you know, it was a, a, the dress for a prince's, and um, when I danced under that tree, I could hear the music of life. I could hear the, 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 the leaves moving. I could hear the grass singing, and I could hear the birds, and I could literally hear the heartbeat of life, and I want to tell you something. I had a point of reference for trust. I had a point of reference for love. I had a point of reference for joy, and as, you know, as I grew up and everything, I want to share another vignette, because this was the moment when I started to believe in the lies of the world, if you will, okay? I was 12 years, I was about 11 or 12 years old, and um, I come, uh, my family, we were very economically deprived. I slept five in a bed until I was 12 years old, okay? Um, but we lived in a middle-class neighborhood, so consequently, I didn't know that we were as poor as we were, you know? And my mother made damn sure that no one else did, too. God bless her. Okay? But um, I'll never forget, all the kids were going to go to, um, all the kids were going to go to this carnival, and... Um, and, and they were, and they were all, we were all trying to think up ways to get money to go to this carnival. And so, you know, they were all talking about this loose change that they ha had at home, right? And God, that sounded good to me, loose change. Okay, so they were going to go home and get all the loose change in the house, and then they knew their parents would let them go to this carnival. I went to my house, and I searched every closet. I searched every shoe. I searched every cup. I did not find even one penny. There was no loose change in my home. And that was when something shifted inside of me. Some of the joy died in my life. And naturally, there were other things. But you know, when you get that awareness, when all of a sudden, can you hear me? Oh, you're kidding. Oh, my God, I feel like I'm talking so loud. Oh, I'm sorry, you guys. Did you get what I said? Anything? <laughs> I don't want to ruin the story here. Um, but anyway, the bottom line to that is uh, I was so incredibly hurt. I was so incredibly angry. And I went out to the back tree where I used to go up in this tree. I was an inveterate reader, and I used to go up in this cherry tree and sit up there and read to my heart's content. You know, I used to read sometimes two books a day from the time I was about five years old. I just, I, I adored it. And, um, and I went back there, and I, you know, I put my fist up to God, and I said, I said, I, I hate you, God. You know, I said, I, I, I'm poor. I feel so stupid because I didn't even know it. I am poor, I am poor, I am poor, which was a lie because, you see, there was a lot about my life that was very, very good. I had a huge extended family. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of neurotic behavior to make it interesting. And, um, you know, I mean, it was, a, it was a lively, good, you know, there were good things about this family besides the other stuff because that's the way we all are, you guys. We're dark and we're light. You know, there's no such thing as the perfect family. Sorry to disappoint you out there, but there's no such thing. Um, but anyway, the bottom line was I said to God in that moment, and this is where what has um, some of the things that I had to contend with after I got sober, because I said to God, I said, I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I hurt. I'm going to get what I want no matter what, and I will 
the famous last words, you guys. I will never give up. And I hate you, God. So I stormed off, and then God and I were pretty, very good friends at that time. So I went back, and I said, I really don't hate you, but I meant every word I said. I'm going to get what I want in this life. So consequently, I think you can picture a little self-will run riot here, okay? (laughs) Just getting ready to bloom and get going, okay? Along with resentments and feeling like life didn't treat me fair and, um, you know, all that stuff, okay? Which, as soon as I, and, and feeling different, feeling like a stranger in a strange land. For much of my life, I did feel like that. Um, and, and you want to know why I felt like that, you guys? It's finally done. I was different. <laughs> no, no, no way to get around it, you know? I was a different kind of kid, you know? So, um... So, and God bless the difference in every single one of us. That's, God bless it, okay? God bless our differences, you guys. We do need to listen for our similarities, but God, we need to love each other for our differences, okay? Um, So, anyway, I find my first drunk. Because, trust me on this, I do not understand having one or two drinks. I've never wanted one or two drinks. I'm not looking for one or two drinks. I want it all. And by the way, I kind of feel like that about life today. I want it all, okay? Um, But anyway, when I discovered booze, and I just want to explain what happened to me because it's very important in relationship to what happened to me when I got sober. What happened to me is when I took that first drink, I want to tell you the gates of heaven opened up. I grew several inches. I knew I was going to be a model. I I was a model. Forget about going to be, going to be, and want to be. I was a model. Uh, you know, I got more intelligent. I got incredibly clever, and, and my bones felt good. You know how alcoholics are? They're just a little restless, irritable, and discontent. Their bones always kind of itch just a little tiny bit. Just kind of put you on edge, right? I wasn't on edge anymore. I was home. And what I realized today is I did indeed find my spiritual connection. I found something that made me feel like I belonged. I found something that made me feel like I fit in. And in fact, I've never really wanted to just fit in. I wanted to be bigger than fitting in, right? Well, that's what I found. I found bigger than fitting in. And what I found was my spiritual connection of the dark side. And and, and what I'm going to share with you is that I became very enamored with all of the games, with all of the corruption, with all of the self-centeredness, with all of that stuff that we do out there, and then we rationalize it with, uh, you know, our sad childhood, or him, or her, or them, or it, or the government, or, you know, who cares who it, you know, we've always got a rationalization, right? And, um... That, I've got to tell you, that kind of thinking kept me drinking, you know. It just kept me going, and uh, it never occurred to me to stop. And um, and I think it would have been kind of sick for me to, <laughs> to think about stopping. And never, I mean, I, was, I thought I was having fun out there, for heaven's sakes. It's not my idea of fun today. It was based on self-centeredness. It was based on self-centered motives. It was based on selfishness. It was based on pulling the game and, and a basic philosophy that I formed when I was about 16 years old, probably a year after I quit drinking, a basic philosophy. And that was, I'm going to get you before you get me. 
And let me tell you something about that philosophy, folks. That's the philosophy of an unconscious human being. Unconscious. You see, a real conscious human being trusts themselves so much, they don't have to worry about the other guy. They don't have to worry about getting screwed by somebody. Okay? But my, and let me tell you what happened in that, is there were some nice people that got hurt on the way, and they did not deserve it. Because they actually had my best interests at heart. And so when I came in through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to tell you something. I had not experienced a whole lot of guilt out there drinking. I had not experienced any remorse. I had experienced quite a bit of homicidal kinds of feelings. Uh, Because it was always your fault. It was always your fault. Okay. And I never thought about suicide. I always thought in terms of killing them. If you hurt me, I kill you. That's a very simple philosophy. Very, very, very simple. Consequently, I was incredibly lovable up to a point, and after that, (laughs) they call it an attitude today. Okay. When you smash somebody in the head who is a stranger who is sitting by you in a bar for absolutely no reason, they call that an attitude. Okay. Anyway, that's the kind of person I, I, I... eventually devolved into devolved please read my lips on that um and 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 but 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 what happened to me i lost all of my i lost all of my desire to create i lost all of my desire to do something wonderful in this world when i was a little kid i'll tell you the one thing that i wanted to do in life i wanted to count for something I wanted to be so committed to something that I would be willing to die for it. And you know what? Most little kids at some point in their life, they wanted something big for themselves. They wanted something big and bright and shiny and connected for themselves. And what happened for me is my alcoholism chiseled that away. And you want to know all I said as I'm going down the tubes? I'm having a great time. You know, if someone came up, you know, we're the only people in the world that we can go out, get totally drunk, make fools out of ourselves, throw up, pass out, okay, and the next day, and and probably uh, are involved in some fairly disreputable behavior. Um, And the next day someone says, well, did you have a good time last night? I had a ball last night. Let's do it again. Do you know this is a sign of a person who's insane? This is not. This is not a well person, you guys. A, a, a well person takes a look at their consequences of their actions. And by the way, you can do the same thing in sobriety. You can keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And that part of the the, the insane part of your disease is telling you. This time it'll work. This time, oh, I, I would probably touch on that just a wee bit since I've had a little bit of experience with that. Uh, but that's insanity. That's insa- and in our second step, it says that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I want to tell you guys something that is 100% true. And I want to tell you something else. There is no human power that could have relieved my alcoholism. Now, I don't know about yours. Maybe your sponsor can't. Maybe your counselor can't. Okay? Maybe your best friend can or your husband or your wife or your, or your job or whatever. 
Me? No human power could have relieved my alcoholism. And for a person who had made a commitment to never give up, ah, therein we see a bit of a conflict. Because you see, if <laughs> just a tiny little bit, okay? So, um, so anyway, what happened to me is I became very cold because unconscious people are cold. Unconscious people can can uh, treat other people absolutely atrociously and then make an excuse for it. I do not have a whole lot of time for, like, blaming Al-Anons or the non-drinking partner. Well, gee, they were with me because I was sick. Give me a break, okay? The alcoholic is charming. They're, they laugh a lot. They smile. They've got all these tricks up their sleeves. I mean, give me a break. But they're the ones that are sick, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, maybe they are, but guess what? That's none of my business, okay? I never got well by looking at your sickness, but I want to tell you I tried. <laughs> I gave it my all, okay? Uh, where it says in the big book, half measures will avail us nothing, that's absolutely true. Let me tell you where freedom is because, of course, when I took that drink and when the portals of heaven opened up for me and when, when I changed and the world changed and the sharp edges of reality turned into technicolor, let me tell you something. What was I looking for? I was looking for connection, and I was looking for freedom. And you want to know what I thought? I thought connection was about making money, being with the right guy, having a perfect family, you know, having the perfect career, being the most charming chick on the whatever block that was. And, uh, you know, that was my idea of connection, okay? And freedom, let me tell you what I thought freedom was. Freedom was running away oh I don't even have to say anything else running away not being responsible not being responsible let me tell you something my life on the outside when I was drinking looked responsible I was you know I went to a job and all that but let me tell you something I was running away inside I was a runner and I'll just relate this one little oh, oh you lost me how about this okay I went to the World's Fair one time, and this was quite a, this was quite a long time ago, and there was a, um, a rat in there. Okay, I was about 21 at the time, and there was a rat. Run, it had a disease, and it was running around and around in this cage. Now, you know, everyone else just walked by that rat. 21 years old, 22, I guess. I am, I am entranced by this rat. It is running around in a circle until it drops dead. I'm the only one that stands there for a half an hour enthralled with the rat. Do you know why? Because I knew I was running around in a circle deep down in the place of me that was still a little tiny bit alive, I knew I was running around in a circle and that the only thing that would save me was if I dropped dead because I would not take my own life. Yours, but not mine. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, this is a setup for... Um, this is a setup for a very sick person, and I thought that I was, when I, when I tap danced through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, i got to tell you guys something. Number one, I figured that I was doing them a favor. Okay? I was doing them a favor. Uh, in those days, there were very few women in Alcoholics Anonymous, and there were no young people. 
And so I just knew that I had a message to give these poor people, you know. And not only that, but I was just a semi. You know what a semi-alcoholic is? That's a very sick alcoholic, a semi-alcoholic, okay? I was a semi-alcoholic. So, um, so you know, I come bouncing through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, but let me tell you what happened to me at my very first meeting. And you know what, you guys, if you just think cool thoughts, it might get a little cooler in here. Okay? Just kidding. No, I'm not just kidding. It works. You can do that. But I don't want to get into that. Anyway... <laughs> I am going to get into miracles, though. I am going to get into miracles. Um, but anyway, when I walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a broken person. A broken person is someone who has lost the ability to love. I had lost the ability to love. I had lost the ability to care. I shed a few tears when I was drinking. I shed those tears whenever I got caught. That's the only time I shed tears when I was drinking, is to get out of a jam. I'm always amazed at these alcoholics who live these, you know, I said, give, come now. Let's get honest with each other. Why are you in the throes of your morose nature? Are you not trying to get out of some kind of trouble here? Um, because that's the kind of, that's the kind of alcoholic I was, okay? Uh, and my, and my joy was kind of on the hollow hilarity side, you know, uh, and more hollow than hilarious, I'll tell you that right now. Um, but anyway, what happened to me is I lost what is basically basic to a human being. I lost my spirit. I lost my hope. I lost my soul. I lost my, my ability to love. And I did, and here's the terrifying part of alcoholism. Let me please you guys. This is a deadly disease. It will wipe you out, turn you into a monster, and you look in the mirror and think things are going great. It's a deadly disease. And it will lie to you. It is the enemy. It is the enemy. And guess where the enemy is? Is it in my heart? The enemy is right here. The enemy is right here. So when I walk through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, I go tap dancing in there because my husband at the time, well, he definitely needed to get sober. That guy definitely needed to get sober. And God bless him that he did because that's how I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't make any difference how you get here, okay? But anyway, I go bouncing into this meeting because for ulterior motives. One, he had, he had told me that there was a strong possibility that if I did not stop drinking, he would have to kick me out. Now, this is after I took him back. Can you understand that this might have rankled a little bit, okay? So I had very ulterior motives. He had told me about all the people in Alcoholics Anonymous who had fur coats and diamond rings and all this jazz, right? Those are my kind of people. I don't know about you, okay? And the second part of why I went, I wanted to see what a bunch of alcoholics look like, okay? But deep in my mind, I thought, you know, I maybe should have to, I maybe need to line somebody up here because this guy is going to kick me out. Okay, so it doesn't make any difference why you come to Alcoholics Anonymous. By the way, we were married for 16 years, 16 very sober years, a house that was full of AA people, sober people. You know, I mean, there were some beautiful things about that relationship, some beautiful, and look what we got. 
out of that relationship. Uh, let me stop here just for a minute because I want to say something. I did not know when I, uh, you know, when I came in here and I made the commitment to stop drinking, I did not realize that right behind it I was going to make the commitment to live. And I want to tell you something here, and this goes for every single one of you in this room. If you make the commitment to live, you will not do those things that make you die. Absolutely guaranteed. If you walk into the light, the dark's not going to go any place, but you're going to shed a little light on the subject, and it is not going to drive you unbeknownst to you. And that has been not theory for me. That has been my absolute experience here. So my very first AA meeting I go to as a visitor, and I'm certainly not an alcoholic. And I go in there, and let me tell you what happened, because I, what I know today is that God reached down and took this narcissistic, this self-centered person that was full of turmoil and chaos and corruption and loved every single bit of it, and what God did was take me, turn me around, and face me into the light. I know for a fact that that's what happened. I had no idea what was going on then, okay? But I walked into my first AA meeting, and when I looked into the eyes of these gentlemen that got up and talked, I saw something so infinite. I saw something so eternal. I saw something so peaceful, and I wanted that. Now, I did not want to stop drinking. (laughs) I did not. But I wanted what I felt and I saw there. And let me tell you what happened. As I went in there, an almost dead person who did not know I was dying, and this is true for all of you with the disease of alcoholism, you don't know you're dying. I walked in there a dead person. And I didn't know how dead I was until I experienced a little life. I didn't know how cold I was the depths of winter until I experienced some warmth. And what happened is a little fire started up inside me. Now, not enough for me to consider not drinking, although I had a sober husband at home, so I didn't drink. But I started to get fired up. I kept coming back to the meetings because of how I felt. And then it dawned on me, oh, no. If I'm going to hold on to this, I'm going to have to give it away, which means I have to stop drinking. I mean, for good and all. For good and all. Well, one day at a time. One day at a time. That saved me, by the way, for my first year. One day at a time. Because, frankly, I could not, I could not conceive of a life without alcohol uh, for, for an indefinite period of time. But what I want to share with you is then when I got sober, my life caught up with me. My entire life I had blamed other people, and for the first time in my life, I started to do some self-examination. And let me tell you something. The program does not start working here until we examine our soul, until we examine our motives, until we examine our self-centeredness, our selfishness, not the other guys. Let me tell you how I operate. Maybe some of you will identify with this, but probably not because you're incredibly spiritual tonight. Okay? If I'm having difficulty with another person and I even glance at their part, you know this 50-50? Oh, please, give me a break. 50 If it's going to be 50-50, guess which 50% I'm going to focus on? If if there's a part here, guess which part I'm going to focus on? No, you guys, 
It's my relationship with life. It's my relationship with God. It's my relationship with other people. So guess what? It's a 100% deal here. I am 100% responsible for how my life goes. Other people, places, and things are not supposed to be determining how my life goes or what my attitude is. No, my attitude is to change with whatever is going on around me, okay? Um, And it took me a long time to get this concept because there's a line in the big book, and and this is the one thing, and this is where that little girl that said, I will never give up, this was so incredibly difficult for me. There's a line in the big book that says, I know that when there are difficulties between us, that I am somewhat responsible. However, deep down in my heart of hearts, I know that you're just a little sicker than I am. Now, it makes no difference whether you believe that 10% or 50% or 75%. It's going to kill you just as dead at 10% as it is at 50 or 75. And it's going to make for a very untenable, dry knuckle, the same things happening over and over again kind of sobriety. That's been my story. When I held on to that, when I held on to the idea that someone else was just a little sicker than I was, that people, places, and things were were my problem, I couldn't figure out why I would end up in these situations where I felt victimized, where I felt like... Geez, I'm such a spiritual giant, and life is just kind of like out to get me. I don't, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the, and truly, I did, I did. Let me tell you the commitment I made when I came into AA. I made the commitment. I, because I'd been such a party girl, because I'd been such a <laughs> scarlet woman, if you will, um, I made the commitment that I wanted to be the best wife and the best mother that I could be. In the heart of that commitment has been my greatest strength, my greatest growing, my greatest love, and also within the heart of that commitment has been some of my greatest character defects. Because you see, in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're looking at someone who thought that if I just took the 12 steps, I could indeed manage my own life. In other words, if you took the 12 steps and you really gave yourself to this simple program, your life would turn out, you would, run, you would ride off into the sobriety sunset on a white horse with a prince, and life is happy ever after. And I held on to that illusion. So naturally, when life kept trying to encroach on my illusions, and life will, you know, I was, I was resentful. I was, I was, I was resistant. I, you know, this whole, I had such a hard time surrendering to the idea that I am a hundred percent responsible here. That all of my, all of my self-pity, and it tells us this in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the exact nature of my problem, the exact nature, because you see, you guys, if you never get down to the exact nature of your problem, You can go to counseling. You can do behavior mod. You can deal with your dysfunction, although I think you'll have probably quicker uh, recovery if you deal with your dishonesty. Okay? When I dealt with my dishonesty, my dysfunctions started to melt away. I'm sorry, but that's the way it went. But I don't care, you know, what kind of help you get. 
I don't care how many times you do the steps. If we do not get down to the exact nature of our wrongs, and what I had to do is get down to the exact nature of my wrongs, which is what? Self-centered fear and selfishness. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells me in black and white that my selfishness is going to kill me. It doesn't say just my alcoholism is going to, it says my selfishness is going to kill me. But it's very hard for a self-sacrificing, considerate, spiritual giant, you know, of the sort of person that likes to do things perfect because they don't like to apologize. Okay, very difficult for this kind of a person to see that the exact nature of my wrongs do not rely, you know, are not out here. They lie in here, in my self-centeredness, in, you know, any time. I'm afraid about something. Anytime I'm in difficulty with another person, guess what's at the source there, you guys? Either something is happening that I want to be different, or something is happening that, how does that work? I never can remember. There's this little saying we have in AA, but anyway, you get the general idea. Anyway, it's like, it's like you know, it's something out there that I want and I'm not getting, or it's something out here that I have that I don't want. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, this, 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 chronic, uh, this chronic discontent, which can be turned into divine discontent. And slowly through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe that slowly but surely that is what has started happening for me, is that a lot, my discontent I am trying to turn into a divine discontent. In other words, I'm using it as an impetus for my relationship with God. Because let me tell you something, folks. This relationship with God, that's the no human power. That is the no human power. And I had to surrender 100% to the idea that I am 100% responsible for my reality. I am 100% responsible on whether I'm happy or sad. And I'm not talking about appropriate grief. It is, you know, I have gone through tremendous grief. I have also gone through melancholy here. Although I must admit it slipped into self-pity there somewhere along the line. And a deep, dark depression. And I'm not going to say either good or bad, but what I can tell you is that, that, that it led me into looking at the dark side of my soul. The dark side of my soul, which I, sooner or later, we have to look at the truth about ourselves. And that my motives, many times, even though they look good, are ulterior. I re, you know, just like, okay, let's take a relationship. Oh, you guys aren't involved in that, are you? <laughs> relationships, you know, we're supposed to stay out of those for the first year and all that stuff. Anyway, but anyway, let's just take a relationship. Let's say I'm totally committed to a relationship. Totally committed. Now, it's okay to be committed into a relationship if you don't have any ulterior motives. Guess what the ulterior motive, though, can be, and it can look good. It has to work out my way. And, in fact, I know that if I just work the steps, if I just work the steps... I know this person's going to change. No, you guys. No. No. There's a, there's a little discrepancy there. If I work the steps, 
I'm going to change, and it doesn't guarantee a thing out here. Now, let me tell you something. I told you I lost the, the ability to love. I don't know what your worst thing in life is, but I know what some of mine are. Rejection. Rejection. Not being loved. And what Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me, and this is the absolute truth, you guys, and my heart soars with joy. It is so much more fun to love. It is so much more. Let me repeat that. It is so much fun to love and not be worried about getting hurt. Because if we don't love here, we miss the whole game here. We lose the whole game of sobriety, in my opinion. If I am always worried about what you're going to do or how you're going to respond to me or how this is going to end up, I mean, I wouldn't put my heart any place. And I was the kind of person that that, you know, I was always scamming, scamming. Now, how's this going to work out? I need to cover myself here. I need to cover myself here. You know? Well, guess what? You cover yourself in all those places, you lose your heart. There's a line in a movie called The Breakfast Club, and these kids are, I love these movies about these kids, these rebels. I identify with them. Um, But anyway, there's a line in there that's so important, you guys. There's a line in there that says, uh, they're talking about the adults in their life. And they, and they say, well, what happens to adults? What happens to adults? And this one kid says, you know what I think happens to them? They let their hearts die. They let their hearts die. Now, let me tell you something joyous, hallelujah, about Alcoholics Anonymous. We come in here, dead people. I don't care whether you know it or not, but you're dead. Okay? We come in here, dead people. And we get to take the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. We get to see how selfish we are. We're rotten little things, always looking for our own advantage and all this stuff. And guess what happens? Our heart comes alive. Our heart comes alive. We learn how to love. And and, and then we start 12-stepping, and then we learn how to let go because those suckers don't get sober. (laughs) Huh? How do you learn? How do you learn about loving people and letting them go? How about your own? You want to know what helped me with my kids, with my family? 12-stepping. Do you know why? Because you'd work and work and work with these people, and they still don't do what you want them to do. Huh? And then you learn something. You love them no matter what. You guys, do you know what a gift this is? Do you know? Do you have any idea? I want to tell you something about my sobriety today. Nine months ago, I moved to Missoula, Montana. My spiritual history has been written here. I have friends here who have seen me through divorces. They've seen me through broken hearts. They have seen me when I lived in a garage. They have seen me when I lived in a Victorian with no heat for three years. Now, there's some... Isn't that (laughs) self-sacrificing? starting to get embarrassing when I talk about that because really a little voice now says what the hell were you doing there okay um, but anyway they've seen me through some through some and, 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 and prior to my leaving here and I want to speak of this just a little bit so that you don't think if you start getting depressed if, if life turns a little gray on you that you have to go out and drink or that no let me tell you something what happened to me about two years before I left here is I is 
You know that commitment about being the good parent and the, and, and, and the good wife. And all of a sudden you see another, I, I was becoming more transparent in the dark side of my soul. And I was starting to see some areas where I had erred. I had started to see, okay, so like this is a big thing, you guys, because this was my commitment in Alcoholics Anonymous. I went into a terrible place of self-examination and despair and waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning crying and, 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 and just a lot of stuff, okay? And I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand, because I've been through the dark night of the soul before in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've got to tell you something, once is enough. (laughs) Once is enough, okay? I went through another time, you know, that I'm not even going to talk about because it's so far back. You know, that's the one thing about staying sober for a long time. You wonder, what the hell am I going to talk about? I mean... I've lived and died three or four times here. So I'm, and, and if you think I'm joke, I'm not. I have. And let me tell you the hardest thing in the world in Alcoholics Anonymous and sobriety is to let go of the old ideas. Oh, no. Yeah, the old ideas that used to be new ideas that used to work in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That is the most painful, wrenching. Yes, yes. Anybody who has been through that, when they find out that those good things don't work anymore, that you've got to go further into the spiritual journey, it is a wrenching, separating kind of experience. It is so incredibly hard. But that is, you know, that was part of what was going on with me, too. Some old ways of doing things, they weren't working anymore. And I had to look at the truth. And then I thought, God, Laura... You know, you're always telling your the people you sponsor they don't have to be perfect. You're always telling your kids you don't have to be perfect. Where did it get into your head that you were perfect? Well, of course, I thought, I don't give a damn. I wanted to be perfect. I don't care about those other people, right? To heck with that. But let me tell you something. I went all the way through this thing, you guys. I went all the way through, and I can't stress this enough. I went through fear on this. I, you know, I thought I was going to die from lack of sleep. And, 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 I mean, I just went through an awful lot of stuff. Let me tell you what happened on the other side. And it was one window night. Okay, there's a window here where I started to go through this depression. I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I started to think about my son. Then I started to think about my daughters. Then I started to think about my job. And, oh, my God, I thought, and, and then I started to think about this move that I was going to make. And I just, you know, I just kind of like lost it at 3 o'clock in the morning. I started screaming at God. I screamed at God for two solid hours. Two solid hours cussing him up one side and down the other. Just letting all this stuff out. And then I noticed that my windows open. I mean, my... I mean, my windows, I sound like a crazy woman. They're going to think I'm seeing God. They're going to think I'm seeing things. I mean, I'm, I'm wacko woman here. I'm wacko woman, okay? But let me tell you what came out of that. My father, okay, my, my biological father, I only saw him maybe three times. My mom raised five kids, sometimes on 15 and $20 a week, and she did a superb job. And... Um, and I, and I only saw my father three times. And let me tell you what happened. Here I am screaming at God, screaming at God. And all of a sudden I'm saying, why did you have to leave me, Father? And son of a gun, man, I can't even tell you. I was feeling abandoned by God. I was because I was going through all this hard stuff that, frankly, I thought was, was too much for such a spiritual person. And... 
And, um, and you know, I mean, that's the truth. Sorry, you guys. That's the truth. And, um, and, and I, but, but what I realized was it wasn't God anymore, you guys. It wasn't God. I was cussing out my dad for leaving. And, and I was, and I was going through this whole, I hate the, 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 you know, when people talk about midlife crisis and all that, I think, bullshit, that's just, oh, sorry, God. I hope that's my first swear word. Anyway, <laughs> strike that swear word, Jay. Thanks. Um, okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, uh, where was I, anyway? Oh, my God. Huh? What? God. Okay. And what was I doing with him? <laughs> Okay, I was I was cussing out my dad because prior to this, part of what was going on with me is I hated my job. Naturally, it was all their fault. Okay, um, and I I was incredibly tired. Uh, I was hitting that period when I was recognizing how old I was, which you know I was. 58 years old, or 57 at the time, I don't know which, but anyway, I went into this thing about, oh my God, my life is a mess, I don't have any retirement, I hate my job, I want to commit suicide, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in this place, right, and, 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 and so what happens out of this, and I'm, fe- what is that, you guys, let's identify it right here, self-centered fear, you know, I'm not looking at the fact that I'm so surrounded by love. I'm probably the most blessed person on the face of the universe. I mean, I am so surrounded by love that sometimes I just cry for joy. And that's the absolute truth, you guys. But anyway, so here I am. I'm, you know, I've got all this self-centered fear going, and all of a sudden... I am cussing out my dad. And right behind it, I thought, what in the hell am I crying about this guy for? He obviously didn't know how to do anything because he never stuck around to do it. And, Laura, this is your life, and you know what? It's not so bad. It's not so bad, except now you've got neighbors that are probably reporting you to the police. Okay? So let me tell you what happened out of this, you guys. And I can't stress enough. Go through your dark side. Go through your depression because on the other side of this, what happened was a faith on a level that I can't even describe to you and an ability to love on a level that I cannot describe to you. In other words, if you probably notice, I'm a little bit speedy. Okay. Well, you know, I love getting high. I just, I mean, I can get high on adrenaline. Just give me some more adrenaline. Some more, some more, some more. Okay? I just love to get high. But guess where the real action is? Guess where real life happens? Real life happens in the deep waters of life. Real life happens in commitment. Real life happens in taking responsibility for your own life. You know, and all of a sudden, that whole picture opened up for me. And I thought, my God. And I went all the way through, and you guys, it was the best thing I ever did. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. But then you must remember something. Ten years ago, when I went through a bunch of stuff, I said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the best thing. Ten years prior to that, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? If you give yourself to this simple program, if you give yourself to the steps, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, willing to call a spade a spade, see who you are and love it anyway. Let me tell you something. I know more about me and my character defects today than at any other time in my sobriety, and I have never had so much respect for myself. 
And you know what that translates into? That translates into respect for other people. That translates into compassion for other people. That translates into acceptance. Because what is that, you guys? I see me like I've never seen me before, and I accept myself. I can't even tell you what a gift that is, and where does that come from? Well, that comes from that higher power, because what happened out of this is my, what I'm really aware of today is without God, I am nothing. Let me repeat that, because I believe it's the core of our program. Without God, I am nothing. And I'm going to give you a guarantee. Every newcomer in here, I'm going to give you a guarantee. If you give yourself to this simple program, if you just open up your arms to life, embrace life, and say, I'm here, I am here, life, I love you, I am here, and you give yourself to God, whether you believe in God or not, I don't care if you do, you will stay sober. And you will go through more hell than you ever did try. ourselves as we were doing all that gusto stuff that's insane today I'm alive today I'm alive so no wonder I'm afraid sometimes I'll always be afraid of new things anybody out there who can go into new things and not feel any fear hey God bless you my hat's off to you but guess what I've accepted something about this dude that is never going to happen for me I've finally accepted to my innermost self that my fear is my driving force to a relationship with God and deepening my faith and being able to share that with other people. Now, what kind of gift is that? For a self-centered person that came into Alcoholics Anonymous, tap dancing, arrogant, thinking, hey, 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 you know? You know, you know where the action is? You know where the real action is? It's in your heart. And it's right now. God isn't going to happen for you guys tomorrow. Love isn't going to happen for you tomorrow. You know? I mean, if, if you feel like you want to tell someone you love, tell them. We could be gone tomorrow. I want to tell you that's one of the things about living one day at a time. In our family, what we usually do is we usually say, I love you after every phone call. After You want to know why? Because from the time I was first sober, I realized something. Life is precious, but I don't know how long I'm going to have it. And the last words I want for the people I love, even the people I don't love, I don't care. I want to tell them I love them. That's what I want to, I, that's what I want to remember about me. And that's what I want them to remember about me. Okay, so I think love is our message here. That's, that's what, for not taking the first drink. I mean, alcoholics are always looking for love. It's all in the wrong places. But what I can tell you right here is if you stay here, you're going to find out what real love is. You're going to find out what it's like to look into somebody else's eyes and be so close to that person. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about being so close to that person because you're seeing inside each other's souls and you're totally open and it's okay and you don't care what happens because you're so immersed in the here and now. Now is where it happens. Sobriety happens now. It does not happen tomorrow. And guess what? It didn't happen yesterday. That is why I have to continue to change. 
And that is what I have resisted heart and soul off and on in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I must continually change. And yet I am here tonight to tell you that it is the most exciting adventure that I've ever been on. I am living... And Missoula, Montana, they do AA different there. And I want to tell you, the first thing I wanted to do was change their meetings, okay? <laughs> that shows you how spiritual I am, okay? But let me tell you something. Yes, they're different there, but they never talk in a meeting. They, there's never any cross-talking, and they base the whole meeting around the newcomer. Exactly the way it was when I first got sober. So God bless this program. I want to leave you with something, because I know we're all dying here, because evidently we didn't think cool, cool thoughts quite enough, okay? But I want to thank you so much for sitting here listening to me. You guys, you are angels. You, I, I mean that, by the way, from the bottom of my heart. I believe... That if we give ourselves to this simple program, if we don't take the first drink, if we accept that it's our selfishness that's the problem, that it's our self-centeredness that's the problem, I believe that we can open our hearts to each other and we act as angels to each other through our grief and through our separations and through our losses and through our love and through our joy and all of the wonderful things that happen to alcoholics when they stay sober. Um, I want to just share you this one last story, and then and then I want to close because it is so incredibly hot. Um, I I haven't had like a lot of go- I don't believe in gurus, by the way. I kind of believe in the old adage: if you see a guru on the side of the road, you're supposed to kill him. Okay. I'm I'm serious about that. I'm serious about that. Okay. I'm very very serious about that. Or if we're going to have a guru, I suggest you choose God okay we depend on people places and things and we're setting ourselves up for disaster but this guy this guy was my guru let me describe him to you his and I close all of my talks about Frankie Frankie um I I don't remember how long a time he had sober when I came in but it was a hell of a lot longer than me and Frankie had the mentality of perhaps a 10 year old a 10 or 11-year-old, and he was a street person. And he knew that he was different. He knew it. Let me tell you something about Frankie. He would walk five miles to a meeting. He would wash dishes and come to a meeting and talk about how proud he was of the job he did that day, washing dishes. He was the best dishwasher in the world. And for our AA functions at this club that we used to go to, Frankie used to direct the traffic, right? And, oh, Frankie did it good. Don't go over there. Don't go over there. I mean, he was, I mean, he was the, he was the dictator of the parking lot, okay? But the part that I want you to know here is he did his best. He just did his best. And let me tell you, he used to stand up in meetings. He used to stand up in meetings, and I adored this man. I adored this man. And he would, because he addressed my arrogance. And, um, he would stand up in meetings and he would say, if Frankie can do it, Anyone can do it. And let me tell you something. If Frankie can do it, and I can do it, we can all do it. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. 
Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much. 